I was thinking about this the other day, the name of your podcast, Wrestling Changed My Life. But honestly, since I was born, I immediately went into wrestling because I had three older brothers that wrestled. It was, for me, wrestling was just a part of my life. It's what we did. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back my time, I spent wrestling. If it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Wrestling Changed My Life podcast. This is your host, Ryan Warner, coming to you from Chicago IL. Our guest today is Teague Moore, NCAA champion from Oklahoma State, three-time All-American, multiple-time national team member, Pennsylvania State champion. The guy's done it all. Awesome to have Teague Moore on the podcast. We talk about it at the end, but Teague's business, which is called The Wrestling Consultant, is a new sponsor of the podcast. We're going to be going live with ads coming soon here. But if you have any interest in working with Teague, please go to thewrestlingconsultant.com. So enjoy this podcast with Teague Moore. Fan of the week goes to our friend Will of a Warrior from Kangas Wrestling. A recent Apple podcast review, five-star review, says, Always have fun listening. I like how your interviews make us feel like we're all in the same room, like a bunch of friends talking wrestling. Thank you so much for the review. We greatly appreciate it. Will of a Warrior, Kangas Wrestling. And without further ado, folks, let's give it up for Teague Moore. If you're running a wrestling club and you're looking to supplement your existing fundraising efforts, please consider using CauseMatch. CauseMatch is a peer-to-peer online crowdfunding campaign, and past results show that this type of a campaign using CauseMatch will help you raise six times more than traditional events. And the best part is that it won't cost you an additional 30-40% in overhead. You don't have to change a thing in your current fundraising plans CauseMatch is just meant to help supplement your existing efforts. Go to causematch.com slash wrestling to schedule a 20-minute Zoom call and see if there's an opportunity to grow your fundraising. That's causematch.com slash wrestling. Teague Moore, welcome to the podcast, my friend. Good to be on. Thank you for having me. It is an honor, man. And gosh, just going down, uh, going down your journey this morning, I just watched a couple of your matches and... You know, I just got, let's just start there because we're going to go, we're going to talk about Pennsylvania in the eighties and nineties, but you know, you talk about Eric Jurgens. He grew up in, in our area and just one of the toughest dudes you ever come across. Had you wrestled him before that semifinals your uh, junior year? Um, that's a good question. I don't think that we did. I think because that year was, was really kind of a messed up year. That was, uh, that was the year that the three wrestlers died. They paused our season, changed the weight classes. We started at 118, but then they moved it to 125. Um, but I don't think I don't think I did see him prior to that. No Iowa duel that year. Like that, I, I was thinking I, uh, for. I didn't see it. I can't remember. I don't think so. I don't know. Yeah, he and you know, for folks who don't remember that name, four-time undefeated Iowa State champ would go on to beat Stephen Abbas twice in that tournament, which yeah. that's pretty crazy. Um, but yeah, just that that match was was just a burner going right down to the wire. What do you remember from from that scrap? 
Uh, I remember that specifically, like I have a vivid memory of right at the end, we, we had gone out of bounds. We came back towards the center and I remember just shooting a low single right off the whistle and getting to his leg and scoring the final points to win the match. I know it was a tight one throughout because we were both, um, early on, we were both kind of reluctant to open up. And then once we did start opening up, he and I both got into some really good, uh, deep shots, but we scrambled pretty hard and kept each other from scoring. So it was a low scoring match, but there was a good amount of action in it. Yeah. Were you always a legger like that? Like you really put some good leg rides on. Yeah, I was, um, I ended up becoming a cross body ride guy, like where I grew up in the high school that I went to, uh, we had a Hall of Fame legendary coach named Gusty Augustino. Now, he didn't coach me in high school. He coached my brother. But that's where I learned cross-body ride. And then Kendall Cross, um, you know, one of our Oklahoma State alums, he he had shared quite a bit on his cross-body ride, which worked for me extremely well. So short legs, I had to change my body position a little bit, but it worked for me. Yeah, and it's a uh, it's interesting to see you go to that because like the battle is right off the whistle there. If you can get that that leg in on the right side, yeah, that was a that was a fun match. Just because you think about ninety seven's been so well documented. It's Gables last year. Ninety eight yeah. though transitionary time, Oklahoma State has two NCAA champs back to back weights. So it's like that's just a that nationals is a lot of fun to look at. Yeah, well, the actually the, the so the Jurgen semifinals was ninety eight. 97 was, um, I lost a Whitmer. I lost a Whitmer in the semis in 97. I beat Jurgens in 98. And then I uh, lost to Abbas in 99. And that match was, I was just watching it. Seriously, one of the best semifinals I've ever watched in terms of the scrambles. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh, I just couldn't believe it. Well, let's go. You mentioned uh, you know, the high school you went to. North Allegheny is where I imagine that's where uh, where you went since your your brother went there and, and that's mm -hmm. you know one of the legendary programs of Pennsylvania. What was it like growing up in Pittsburgh in the uh, late 80s early 90s? Uh looking back on it, I didn't know any different at the time. Um but basically Pittsburgh at that time was going through a tough transition. You're like it's the end of the steel era. There was a lot of friends, families that we either knew of that were somehow, it, it was just a tough time for, for people to have jobs, for the industry to keep moving forward in Pittsburgh. I didn't know that at the time, right? right. I was just growing up. Um, wrestling was my life. Like, um, I was thinking about this the other day, the name of your podcast, Wrestling Changed My Life. But honestly, since I was born, I immediately went into wrestling because I had three older brothers that wrestled. Um, it was for me, wrestling was just a part of my life. It's what we did growing up. Mark Angle, one of your guests, and Jim Harshaw, another one of your guests. Like we literally grew up every Saturday. We didn't get up and watch cartoons. We were at wrestling tournaments at probably 70% of this of the Saturdays throughout a whole year, we were in a gym somewhere beating each other up. And so that was kind of my childhood. I didn't I didn't know anything other than a life of wrestling. And you mentioned your brothers wrestled. That's an understatement because your one of your older brothers was the first four-timer uh, in, in the new class system in Pennsylvania. Talk a little bit about his high school accomplishments. So Ty, he won uh, four Pennsylvania state titles, only lost once in high school from 87 to 1990. And um, my, our family started in a school district called Seneca Valley. <clears throat> and that's where my um, old, I'm the youngest of seven. And so the older five older siblings all went to Seneca Valley. Two of my brothers wrestled there. That's where our, our wrestling story kind of started at Seneca Valley. And now different time, my brother, my dad knew my brother Ty was going to be pretty good in high school. 
So in between his eighth and ninth grade year, my dad has a conversation with Gusty Augustino, the coach at North Allegheny. And my dad makes the decision he's going to move Ty to North Allegheny. So it, it was only like two or three weeks before school began. My dad and Ty uh, moved to North Allegheny and they rented a room so that they could get residents in the district and he could go to school. And our original school district, Seneca Valley, nobody really knew about it until school began and Ty wasn't school. And then people started asking, where was he? And turns out he's enrolled at North Allegheny. And so back then you didn't have what you have now, which is like this very litigious, everybody, everybody wants to stop kids and parents from being able to get their kids to the right places. My dad knew at that time, the best thing for Ty was to wrestle under Gusty Augustino. So he made that change. Uh, Ty went on to win the States that year as a freshman. Um, I got moved into the school district like halfway through that year. So I started in North Allegheny in fourth grade and okay. uh, halfway through fourth grade. And then the rest is kind of history from there. He had a absolutely phenomenal high school career. Like, like you said, four-time Pennsylvania state champion. I think one of his biggest accolades at the Dapper Dan, the Pittsburgh Wrestling Classic, a four-time Oklahoma state champion who went on to be a three-time NCAA champion. They were actually teammates at North Carolina, uh, but they wrestled in the Dapper Dan and tie pinned him in 36 seconds. Um, that's another good one to, to pull up on YouTube. That was that was kind of okay. a crazy match. We missed it because my mom and dad were taking me to the Pennsylvania Junior States and Ty was wrestling in the classic. So we actually missed it that night. Wow. And who was the guy he wrestled? So TJ Jaworski. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, that's a three-time national champ. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Wow. And so North Allegheny, did it have a reputation at that time as a dominant program or was it on the come up? No, it had a, it had a reputation. So Gusty Augustino, that legendary high school coach, yeah. he was a, he was a 1952 Olympic alternate. He had wrestled at Lock Haven went to North Allegheny and got the wrestling program up and running in the 1970s. They had a run of, uh, I think three Pennsylvania state titles and they produced like, um, the Herbert family, the, uh, Jake Herbert's father, Jim, uh, and his older brothers, they were on that group in the 1970s, along with Gus's sons who wrestled, um, so they won some state titles in the 70s. In the 80s, uh, there was kind of this resurgence when when my dad made that move. One of the reasons why he made that move, Gus had kind of collected a very special group of guys that were going to make up that high school team. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, so back then, I think it was 12, it was, it was either 12 or 13 starting weights. All but one of those starting wrestlers all went on to wrestle Division One. So you have a high school team that they ended up winning four team titles in a row, but like twelve of the thirteen starters ended up wrestling in college. They put they had five uh, PIAA state champions in 1990 that year, which is in Pennsylvania it's it's hard to put five guys in the finals, uh, but they did, and they were uh, a legendary program at that time. So your brother won four individual and four team titles? Yeah, correct. Yeah. What? That, that is. Yeah. And you talk about Pennsylvania, two divisions, right? Big school, small school? Yeah, double A and triple A, correct. And I always get it wrong. Which one's the big? Which one's the, the smaller the, school? The triple uh, A is the big bigger schools. Okay. Double A is the smaller schools. Um, but historically... You know, if you look at the results of guys that came through small school or big school, it's almost equal of how many went on to be NCAA champions mm. or All-Americans at the college level. It's produced very well at both both levels. And in the before you even get to states, you, know, you guys are part of the famous the famous Whipple Conference, which, uh, again, Illinois got here. Didn't know a lot about it until I started this podcast. But that's like its own cult following in itself. 
Yeah, it's it's a again, it was something I didn't understand growing up. And it wasn't until I went to college. We had like in my college years, 97, 98, 99, we, it was kind of the high watermark of producing all Americans out of the Whippeal. Um, so the Whippeal, for people that don't know, it, it it is the area around the city of Pittsburgh. It's basically Western Pennsylvania, Southwestern Pennsylvania. It's only 150 high schools. Um, so you break that into double A AA and triple A. And they have produced, this is, these are crazy numbers, but they have 39 division one national champions that have come out of that little area, 179 all Americans at the division one level, right? That's only D one. Um, so crazy numbers for a very small amount of schools. Now that's 150 schools, but not all 150 schools have wrestling. So the schools that have wrestling is even smaller than that. I don't know what the total number is. Yeah. But uh, insane. It's, yeah, it's nuts. And the, the fact, but it's even crazier that, um, so like back in your era, so like was the Jones family, like Virtus Jones, was he from Whippio? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so Virtus, Virtus and Mark Angle used to beat the <laughs> living snot out of me at youth tournaments growing up. Um, for so, I just, I could never beat those guys from like kindergarten through eighth grade. Um, when we were all seventh and eighth grade, I want to say we were around like 80, 85 pounds. Um, here, here's a funny story for you. So in seventh grade, our school North Allegheny had a dual meet with Cannon McMillan and Cannon McMillan decided to make that dual meet an assembly for their, for their junior high. <laughs> so our school, North Allegheny, we get on the bus early in the day. We drive to Canna McMillan to one of their middle schools and we get ready for a dual meet that they bring the whole junior high in to watch the middle school dual meet. Okay. I end up weighing in. I'm wrestling Mark Angle. Oh, God. Takes me down, <laughs> bars me up, runs me over, and pins me in 45 seconds. Right? <laughs> so that, that, that's like, like people ask about my, my early days of wrestling. I, I was not like a superstar youth wrestler like Kerry uh, Collette or, or, or uh, Spencer Lee. Like I got throttled through youth and middle school, but they were some incredible guys that I got beat up by, right? The Mark Angles, the Virtus Joneses, and eventually Jeremy Hunter and I started having battles through high school. So yeah, it's a, uh, it's kind of a, a crazy area that it, here's, here's some more statistics for you. So in 1996, the Whippeo only had one all American, Kerry Collette, mm -hmm. right? In 97, there were six of us that all American in 98, seven of us in 99, seven of us. And then 2000, I'm out of the picture. And then the rest of the guys that were there in 2000, they had six all Americans. So in four years, wow. that area of Pittsburgh produced, like, I don't, I don't know what that number is. It's like Crazy. almost 30 some all Americans at the D ones. Well, it's still going because Spencer Lee's from there. Nolf's from there. Um, I believe Vincenzo, Joseph, Vincenzo. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like that's yeah. great. It's still going. And I mean, going back to that middle school thing though, that that's crazy because I got to imagine like Kenny McMillan's a pretty, pretty decent wrestling school. I think Teasdale's from there. So like, were you guys like hyped going into this duel or you just thought it was any other duel? Uh, it was for us, it was just another duel. I mean, we were in junior high, right? So right, right. anytime you got to get on the bus with your teammates and your friends and go on, ride to another school, do a dual meet, the ride back, maybe you got to eat dinner at a fast food restaurant. That for us, that was like that's full entertainment. Deal. Yeah, that's um, big time. Yeah. Was, was Mark Angle as strong as he looks? Because the dude looks insanely strong. Uh, he, he's pretty jacked right now, but growing up, Marky didn't look like that. Mark was, he was, uh, he was really rangy, um, kind of thinner. Uh, and if you, and if you go back to his college days when he was the year he was cutting to 26, um, man, he was really, really thin. 
but he did not look like he does now. I mean, he's he's put together now. Man, that is a that's so those are the guys you're like growing up with. And what about when you're on like Team Pennsylvania going out to Fargo? Who's like your roommate? Who's your who's your bunkmate at training camp? So I pre- I pretty much stayed with two guys on a lot of those trips. I roomed with Marky a good bit. Um, and I would actually go and live at the Angles house in the summertime to get ready for Fargo. Um, we were we were always one way to wait apart in juniors. Um, so my two roommates were Jim Harshaw, mm-hmm. who you've interviewed. He's doing extremely well now, podcaster and uh, he does like life coaching. Uh, and then Mark. And ultimately, Marky and I really connected because um, our freshman year, I only made the Greco team and went to juniors in Greco. So it was 1992. It was in Minneapolis. I go Greco. I don't even place at juniors. I placed at cadets that year. And Mark talked about those used to be separated. I placed it at cadets. I took fourth and fourth at cadets. Then a couple of weeks later, I go to juniors. I'm only on the Greco team and I don't place. Mm-hmm. But Mark ends up winning freestyle. And he knocked off some really good guys when he wanted as a freshman. And he was like my, he, he was the catalyst for me to say like, okay, I'm done sucking. I don't want to suck anymore. I really want to jump levels. And so the year between that freshman summer and my sophomore year, I went from, I didn't qualify to the Pennsylvania States my freshman year. I didn't place at juniors. And then I came back my sophomore year and I ended up taking second at the Pennsylvania States. I lost to Jeremy Hunters in the finals after beating them two previous weekends that led up to the States. Wow. And then I went on and won the junior nationals in freestyle and I won the next two summers. And so I won three junior nationals in a row. I actually didn't win a Pennsylvania state title until my senior year. So I was a runner up my sophomore year, third place, my junior year. And then I finally won it as a senior. What was it about that watching him win that, that did it for you? It was just the reality of like, Holy crap. Like if Mark can do it, and I'm I'm working out training with him all the time. If he can do it, then I should obviously be able to do it. And so the next year we came back, he moved up to 114 and a half. I was at 105 and a half and ended up putting together a good tournament and winning juniors that year. And that's just when you when you say it like that, I mean, everyone knows the name Teague Moore, national champion, coach, all this. You, you don't until you get into the details, you don't realize that it, you didn't really have that turning point until after your freshman year, which some would consider as late, especially for someone whose family is like this pedigree of great champions. Um, that's it's just a it's cool that that was the moment. It was um, that that sophomore that that freshman year was extremely tough. Everybody had expectations because of what my brother had did everybody had an expectation that I was going to be as good as him. And the reality was I wasn't as committed at that time. I, I hadn't matured enough physically or, or mentally to be ready to win at that level. And then during that freshman year, there were just, a, there was a number of things that happened where I really became embarrassed mm. about my wrestling and that's when everything like the the switch got flipped. Then I made the full commitment. I really started changing my life so that I could start to win on the wrestling mat. And I put the time in, put the effort in. I was blessed. I was extremely blessed for the coaches and the teammates that I was surrounded with that helped get me there. My opponents, <clears throat> and like I said, those guys that, we all kind of came up together. Um, we were friends, competitors, and enemies all at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I think that really helped me jump levels um, and be able to start to compete on a national level. And then once I started winning national titles, then I set my goal as world titles. And to be able to, to eventually go and wrestle for John Smith that was another like reality of like, this can happen 
it's a matter of just putting the work in. And would you say that your older brother was freakishly good and super dedicated or just like really, really talented and not super dedicated? Um, he, he was, he was freakishly talented. He, um, so Ty, Ty was interesting because, uh, I, I, I think about this a lot. If I could have gone back and coached my brother, Ty, he, Ty had an element that he could train and compete at an extremely high level, mm -hmm. but he also had one very bad element was that Ty also partied really, really hard, right? <laughs> so he played hard and he worked hard, right? And so it was fine. In, in high school, Gusty Augustino had the element and their relationship was one that he was able to manage Ty off of the mats. Because really on the mats, it, all you had to do was really teach him and give him a path. It right. was when he left the wrestling room is where he, he really needed some like handholding um, through the process. And so like now coming back to you, so like when you're a sophomore, you get back from Fargo, it's like, it's about this time of year, right? It's like school starting up your sophomore year. What is your like daily routine switch to once you start going all in? So I, there was a, we lived, um, I grew up right in front of a big cemetery. <clears throat> and so I could get up in the morning and I would go and run the cemetery, uh, and it's in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So there's a bunch of hills throughout mm -hmm. that cemetery. Um, I started putting together workouts for the guys on my team. And so I started coaxing my teammates into getting up early in two days a week, we would go to the high school and do like a drill before school started. Um, if I wasn't doing that, I was getting up and going and lifting and or or uh, going out and running and or lifting before I went off to school. And so for me, it was it was the the commitment of what I was doing in the morning. Mm -hmm. And that then fell over into go and find a place to work out. We didn't have all the clubs that we have nowadays that kids can go and find. So it was literally phone calls. Hey, can you work out Wednesday evening? OK, what where can we go? And that's where there's like a lot of good story. Jim Harshaw has a lot of good stories. He and I broke into like <laughs> probably three or four different high schools. We figured out how we could get into the high school wrestling rooms in the evening and get workouts in. Um, Isn't that just hilarious? Just so we had a place to practice. Like you, that, that is like, not only were there no coaches, you barely had a place to go. And like, yeah, like the janitors chasing you out. Maybe someone like, knew a back door at the high school that was propped open by the lunch lady. And like, you could slip in there. It's like, that was the reality, you know, for all you guys. And like, kind of at like, I graduated in 07. So like, Oh, one Oh two. I kind of remember that though. Right. You're like sneaking in places. Now there's yeah. clubs everywhere. Yeah. It was, it was a time when if you wanted to be good, you kind of had to figure it out. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it got to the point where like, Somehow, some way, I was able to get a hold of a key that eventually I was able to open the doors and goes in. But we would we would literally do these workouts. I'm sure Jim can tell these stories as well. We would go in and work out no radio and we would be really silent because there were janitors that would come by and check the wrestling room. Mm -hmm. But we knew how to lock the door. So once we got inside, we could lock it. Then they couldn't get in. Right. So wow. Just wow. The, it was. It, Looking back on it, I mean, we did some, you know, we were idiots, but I mean, that's what we were doing with our time as opposed to going out and getting in trouble and doing things like that. That's cool that it was, uh, it, you had like a little crew of guys you were doing it with, like you said, Mark Angle, Jim Hershaw, and like these guys are all just super dedicated, living near you. And um, yeah, what a cool atmosphere to grow up in. Now, were your high school teams at North Allegheny, were they state championship teams? No, um, as a matter of fact, we, it, my four years in high school, I was either the only state qualifier what? or there were a couple of years I had one teammate that went with me. 
our, our, my team at North Allegheny at that time was not very good. Um, so that's we went why from that, four straight titles when you're in fourth grade to when you're in high school to only one qualifier. Yeah, correct. And wow. it was just because there wasn't that there wasn't like a core dedicated group mm-hmm. that was coming through at that time. There was a couple of us. Right. right. Um, but it, yeah, it was um, my, my high school assistant coach. So, again, that freshman to sophomore year. My head coach hired after my freshman year, we hired an assistant coach. His name was Herb Monroe. He had wrestled at Lockhaven. He was a 118 pounder at, at Lockhaven. He came in and beca- he was an elementary school teacher at North Allegheny and basically my workout partner. And so Herb, you know, he was fresh out of Lockhaven. So he was fresh out of division one wrestling, mm-hmm. understanding that culture, that commitment. And he, was another person that just beat me up on the wrestling mats and really brought me along that sophomore year, really took me to a different level. You see, that's probably perfect for you to have like a kind of a personal coach like that in a way. Yeah, exactly. And he was a small 118 pounder. So at that time I was still wrestling 103. So to have somebody that close to my size that was fresh out of college, it was a huge benefit. And, and I think that is an example of why Pennsylvania in wrestling has done so well. Mm -hmm. You have all these teachers colleges that started wrestling like back in the forties and fifties, those wrestlers in the college level would get teaching degrees. Then they would come back to hometowns. They would start wrestling programs. So you had guys that wrestled at the division one level coming back, becoming teachers and coaches. And if you look throughout Pennsylvania, that is, that's a story that's very common. Mm-hmm. You know, all Americans at, at Clarion's, Lockhaven's, Edinburgh's, Bloomsburg's, they go back to small towns and they're coaching. So the kids are learning wrestling at an extremely high level in Pennsylvania throughout the whole state. That's huge. Yeah. I mean, that's a, uh... I know Ben Askren talks about that a lot on flow. How many, like if you have 14 colleges, you know, there's that many more division one wrestlers and then they're going back to coach. So, I mean, it's definitely a, it's definitely a good theory because look how, look how dominant Pennsylvania has been all those years. And, you know, I would love to go into some of these St. Ed's North Allegheny battles, but we're a half hour and we haven't even got to the great John Smith yet. So when's the first time John W rings the household so my junior year in fargo um he came over and introduced himself of course it's john smith he really (laughs) didn't need to introduce himself but that's the way coach is just extremely extremely humble came over said teague i'm i'm john smith i'm the coach at oklahoma state i've been watching you here in fargo and would like to talk to you about coming and wrestling at oklahoma state and so from that junior nationals, I won. Mark Angle took second. We did a recruiting trip together to Oklahoma State. Um, besides Oklahoma State, I took a visit to Penn State and Cornell. Or I actually didn't take my visit to Cornell. I was planned to go to Cornell, but I did my visit to Oklahoma State, Penn State. I made the decision um, after Mark and I did our visit. We were at the Tulsa airport getting on our planes. He said, what do you think you're going to do? I said, this is the place for me. This is where I want to be. And Mark said, I think I'm going to go to Clarion. And I I couldn't look at Clarion because they had Sheldon Thomas, who was an NCAA champion in 96. And I knew if I go to Clarion, I'm going to be going head to head at 118 with Sheldon. Was he a PA guy? Or, or no, was he... no, Sheldon was uh, Delaware. He, uh, Sheldon Thomas, uh, three-time junior national freestyle champion from Delaware. Wow. Went and wrestled at Clarion, 118 pounds. He was a national champion. I think uh, three, two or three-time All-American there at Clarion. So that wasn't an option for me because right. I would have had Sheldon and Mark at 18 and 26. And Penn State, Jeremy Hunter. I heard the name Jeremy Hunter was legendary during that time in Pennsylvania. Yeah, so Jeremy and I, um, 
we we wrestled in high school my sophomore year the 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 Whippeal made a weird change that year so my sophomore year we wrestled Whippeals then we came back the next weekend and we wrestled the top 6 from the first week came back and they added city schools in which they all the city school kids lost their first match in like the first period Right. So we basically re-wrestled the Whippeal. I beat Jeremy, beat Jeremy, and then lost to him in the state finals. Fast forward to college, he was a year behind me. I was a 95 okay. grad. He was 96. And on my on my visit to Penn State, the coach at that time, John Fritz, had said, you know, we, we really want you to come to Penn State, but we're also, you know, we're also looking at Jeremy Hunter. So there's a chance that both of you could end up here at Penn State. And at that point, I said, I'm I'm going to Oklahoma State. So, man. So you go out and you got to imagine John Smith when he's at that junior nationals. He's recruiting Guerrero. He's also seeing this guy, Stephen Abbas, you know, another brother of a great champion and Jerry mm-hmm. Abbas. And is that the year you beat Abbas at Fargo or is that a different year? No, that that was the that was my junior year that year. He and I. So it was the old. It was the old um, polls. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we both came out of our poll and it, I think it was the semifinals. Um, he and I, we were scrapping back and forth and I was losing by one right at the very end. There was like, we went out of bounds. There was like 15 seconds left and we came back in. I shot a high crotch and shoulder bumped him up and wrapped his far leg and drove him to his back. So I got three and ended up winning the match off of it. So love it. I love it. So that's, so at that point, did you have any idea that Oklahoma state was recruiting you or was this that kind of like the first time you thought it was a reality to go to Stillwater? Um, I think John talked to me. It was after that match. Mm. So after the Abbas win, I believe it was the, we were getting ready for the, finals that evening because that was in the morning i think john talked to me during that break and then once i had that conversation with him and i came home from juniors it's this time of the year you're getting ready back then you know you did your official visits like in the fall nothing was really planned prior to and i can remember having that conversation specifically with my dad my brother Ty and Ty's assistant coach at North Carolina at that time was Kendall Cross. And so Kendall's conversation was probably the most influential on me because Kendall said, look, you know, you've won two juniors. Now you're going to, you're a lot of these coaches are going to come banging on your door. And here's the things you really need to think about. What, what place is going to give you the environment to be able to win at the highest level. What are the coaches going to be like? What are the teammates going to be like? And so his conversation with me is really what intrigued me and led me to follow through and make the decision at Oklahoma state. Wow. What a, I mean, Ken across the legend friend of the show. Well, that that's incredible that he, and, and at this point he hasn't won gold in Atlanta yet. That's correct. Yeah. Cause, he's, Cause you got to, he, He was in between 90, he had made the team in 92 and he was still training in 96. Um, So he, he was thick in it. Like he was, he was high in USA wrestling on our, on our ladder. And so for me to be able to even just get his opinion was absolutely phenomenal for me. And he, he made a lot of it very down to earth, right? He Mm. talked about what's your life going to be like when you're out of the wrestling room what type of environment do you want to have? Um, and so it wow. helped lead me to the decision that I made. So you get there in August of 95, John Smith is three years out of competing. So when you're in the wrestling room, are you actually wrestling coach? Uh, back then he used to drill with us. He didn't wrestle much live, but he would still get on the mats and drill with us. Um, between coach and also Mark Perry Sr. was our assistant there. Mark Perry Sr. was still getting on the mats with us. 
That's and scary. That's scary. directly <laughs> above me was, was Eric Guerrero. So it was kind of the common theme of my career. Like Mark Angle used to beat the crap out of me. And then I go to college and Guerrero's above me and Guerrero beats the crap out of me. Right. Again, forcing me to raise levels and, and wrestle to a higher level. Um, and then the lineup from there, Steven Schmidt, who is a national finalist runner up, um, Scotty Renee, who is a three time All American, Hardale Moore, Jimmy Arias, Mark Branch, Mark Smith, all those guys throughout the lineup. Um, it was the type of environment everybody was setting their goals on national titles. And so for me, that was what I wanted to be surrounded by and just live the lifestyle so that you could win a national championship. Yeah, it's I mean, those teams are crazy. I mean, Jimmy O'Kelly, who, you know, Olympic silver medalist, didn't even all American during those teams. I'm sure he's sick of hearing that stat, but it's it's a crazy one. <laughs> yeah, it's a crazy Jamel, one. Jamel came in a little bit later. He was a he was a junior college transfer. Um, so Eric and I, I think Eric and I were in our junior year, the year that Jamil came in. So, what about DC? We, was he there during that time or no? No, DC was after us. And so once I had graduated and was getting on the circuit wrestling freestyle, that's when Daniel came in. Okay. Yeah, but you look Daniel back at those Pendleton Esposito, like all those guys were the, the group right after us. Got it. And, and th those times, you know, Iowa. So in 94, Oklahoma state wins it. And then Iowa wins the rest of the nineties, but Oklahoma state's getting a team trophy every one of those nationals. So when you got there, was Guerrero also, uh, you guys got there at the exact same time or was he already there? We, yeah, we were roommates. We, we oh, came wow. in, in the fall of 95 and uh, we were roommates that fall. I ended up moving out and moving off campus uh, during that fall. I ended up living with our 190 pounder Aaron Strobel um, so that I could live off campus. Um, I did the, the dorms for me were I didn't like the environment of the dorms. Um, so really? I ended up choosing to live off campus at that. What point. kind of a talent was Guerrero back? I mean, back in those days when you're first getting your hands on him. Um, Eric, as he was throughout his whole career, <clears throat> extremely, uh, extremely tough in the practice room and competitively. I mean, obviously his results show, obviously. you know, Olympian three-time NCAA champion. Um, Eric, so, you know, for wrestling fans, when you go into practice, you've got partners that you can grab a hold of and go through an easy drill with, right? You got partners that you put your hands on with, and it's really tough to drill with. With Eric, when you came into practice, it was always like, right below the level of going live. So <laughs> as you're drilling, he would drill his stuff. You'd start to drill your stuff and he would start working defense. Right. And then he would drill his offense and you'd start to work. Again. But that's so annoying. <laughs> what, what happened? Well, here's what I appreciated from it. When you got into a workout, if you were partners with Eric, your energy output and your effort was like at 99% the whole go, the, the yeah. drilling. Then when you wrestled live, his speed, his technical knowledge, like all of those things added up, you were getting tested the full practice. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I really feel like between Eric and the other teammates and the coaches that I had, I always felt like, it was a disservice to my teammates and my coaches if I went out to compete and I would lose because they're giving me everything that I need to win. And so there's no excuse when I step on the mat. I'm definitely prepared mentally and physically. Um, and so that, that was kind of my take on everything. When I stepped onto the mat, it was kind of like I've done, I've done everything I could possibly do. My teammates got me ready. My coaches got me ready. Now it was time for me to perform. And what were your, you know, first couple of years in, you're around John Smith, the legend. What are some of your like early, uh, your memories, your biggest takeaways, you know, just from being around him in that program in your early years at Okie State? There was, um, there was nothing, there was nothing that we couldn't accomplish, right? Mm-hmm. 
there was an air of we we were expected to win at the highest levels, right? So even when we were in college, conversations were about winning world championships and being the best in the world. And so like when I think back on those times, they were, um, it was very demanding because your expectation was to perform at the highest level. And we did, as you mentioned, we had really good teams back then. We were ranked number one going into the nationals, my sophomore, junior, and senior year, and had beaten Iowa in the dual meets, but we ended up second, second, and third at the NCAAs in those years. We just couldn't, we couldn't get over the hump. We had some injuries that happened that were just nothing other than freak accidents. Um, so there were some injuries and there were some performances at the NCAA championships that we didn't get the points that we needed. And I don't think it was because of a lack of preparation or effort. Sometimes winning, you have to be as much lucky as you do prepared. Mm -hmm. And for us in those years, we just, for some reason, we couldn't get luck and preparation to go together. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, it's so hard to win the team title is just, it's so difficult. And, you know, you mentioned the coaches you were with there. One of my favorite people that I've ever interviewed, Pat Smith. Did you get to interact with Pat much or was he more on like the middle and upper weights? Um, I interacted with Pat and learned an immense amount from Pat and JJ McGrew. I ended up living with Pat. When I finished my four years of college, I still had, I, Eric and I never redshirted. We went into Oklahoma State, wrestled straight four years because we both wanted to get on the circuit for the 2000 Olympics. Um, Pat, I went and lived with Pat after my fourth year when I was finishing my 21 credits to graduate. And Pat always brought to me, he brought a level of um, like patience and acceptance for my wrestling and for my life. Like he was always really good with getting me to see a bigger picture in that, like, he would always say, Tigger, it's just a wrestling match, right? <laughs> and for me, Pat always had a way of kind of calming me and getting me to relax in the moment, which I needed. Like, I'm sure if you look through my history, like, I've made some really stupid mistakes. I got police escorted out of dual meets. I got, like, I did a lot of stupid shit in college. Pat was my coach that could pull me aside and calm me down because I was already amped. Like there was, I didn't need to drink a Red Bull by my nature. I was already like, I was ready to go. Yeah. So. You look at some of those. I, I really encourage the listeners go watch the 98 semis Tegan Jurgens and the 99 semis Tegan Abbas. You come out every match like a buzzsaw, just ready to go. And so there's a lot of energy, a lot of passion, and you you talk about Pat, the word, when you were describing that, I was thinking calm, you said calm, like he just calms you out. It's like, yeah. it's a, it's a very, uh, be a very nice thing to have him in your corner. Um, and then, so were you, did you come back to Oklahoma state at all? I saw you were a coach there in Oh four when they were on that four Pete run. Cause that's always yeah, one for, of the documentaries I've wanted to do is that four Pete. Yeah. Um, so I finished I, I, my senior year of wrestling was March of 99. Like I said, I had 21 credits to graduate. So I did them all that fall. That's when I was living with Pat. And then I accepted an assistant coaching position at Pitt in 2000, January of 2000. So I go to Pitt. I end up really, I took that position because Sinshiro Abe was coaching at Pitt mm -hmm. so that I could work with him on my freestyle. So 2000, 2001, I'm at Pitt. Then I go to Oklahoma under Jack Spates for 2002, 2003. And at the world team trials in 03, John said, you know, I, we'd really like to get you back to Stillwater for the Olympic year in 04. So I made the move to Stillwater in 04. And then I got the assistant position at, or I was able to take a, a, a coaching position at Harvard in five, six, and then I got my first head job at Clarion in 07. 
And then that led to American in 2011. Got it. Okay. And so that's, and that's a good segue. Cause I do want to, we're going to talk about your wrestling consulting business. Cause that's something that I think is really unique and is really needed. So what, what is that? And how did you start that? So I started the wrestling consulting business because when I finished at American in 2021, I, I recognized there's a huge gap for high school wrestlers and parents of just understanding the whole recruiting process. And as I mentioned, those schools that I had worked at, there's a lot of different processes that you could potentially go through for the application, but even more so with recruiting, how does a high school wrestler get recognized by college coaches? How do you put yourself in front of college coaches? So I had 20 years of coaching knowledge and I understood what a wrestler should be looking for. I understand what questions they should be asking. And, and most parents nowadays, if their son wants to wrestle, the vast majority of high school parents, they don't understand the landscape. Mm-hmm. They don't know how many Division I schools are there, which of those Division I schools offer the degree options that my son or my daughter's looking for, right? Not every school has engineering, right? And are, is your son or daughter a division one, division two, or a division three wrestler? Or maybe they should look at NAIA or junior college. There's so many options right now for the high school wrestler. I started the consulting business so that I can help them funnel their options, hopefully to the right school and the right coach so that they're not having to transfer once they get to their school. I think it's much needed and I'm so glad that we're going to be partnering on it. And if folks want to, we're going to come back to wrestling. because I have some big questions I got to ask you about, but for the wrestling consulting business, perfect time of year. Um, and a lot of folks who listen to this, their first, their kids are wrestling for the first time. They never wrestled. So how would they get in touch with you for that? Very simple. Uh, you can go to the website, the wrestling or you can email me the wrestling consultant at gmail.com. Um, and what I, what I do is I'll, I'll schedule a free introduction call. So that way I can get on the phone with the parents. They can ask questions. They can kind of tell me where their wrestler's at. And then in the introduction call, I say, here's what I think I can do for you and your family. If they sign up for my packages, it's basically in its simplest form. I work with them for four weeks, eight weeks, or 12 weeks. Mm-hmm. The four weeks is really just giving them the nuts and bolts When I hear their story, I give them schools to get in communication with. If we do the eight-week program, it goes a little bit further. Um, I do a little bit more with them to get them prepared. In the 12-week program, we actually start breaking down their wrestling and and really trying to find out what is the college coach going to be looking for in your wrestling. So now I start to give some pointers on here's what you need to be drilling these are the areas when I watch their videos, these are the areas that you've got to start to improve on that a college coach is going to notice mm-hmm. and, and hopefully want you on their team with. And folks, he knows what he's talking about. Cause we're talking about an NCAA champ here. How many international tours I can't even tell you. And then all those years coaching as an assistant and head coach in D one, it's just uh it's a really cool thing and, and I can't wait for folks to start uh engaging with it. I'm sure they already have been you know, many times over. Um I wanted to go back to a, a few big moments that we haven't talked about yet. Tell me about your first NC your first NCAA title. I mean for first and only, but like just your NCAA title. Uh, what was that moment like for you? Uh the moment of winning was uh exhilarating. Um for me, there was a lot of emotion that went into that national title. Um, the previous year, uh, nineteen ninety-seven, I lost in the semis to a to Jesse Whitmer from Iowa, a guy that I had previously beaten at the national duels, and then I lost to him in the semis. That was during Gable's final run in ninety-seven. What was the crowd like in that match? Was it just chaos, or what? Did you notice it? Uh, the crowd, not so much because in 97, we were at the, the Unidome at UNI and the, and the crowd was really far away, but because it was Gables last year in Iowa, 
of of the tickets sold there, I'm going to say like 60 or 70 percent of that arena were Iowa fans, Gable fans. And I remember in that Whitmer match, Jesse wrestled a really good match. He, he came out with a strategy to nullify the things that I had just beaten him with two weeks before. Mm-hmm. And he executed well. I made some very bad errors. I was taking shots that weren't there. Nonetheless, he beat me. That environment was just, I mean, when, when the crowd went nuts, my whole body shook from the amount of noise that was in there. Right. And that was the year Iowa went on, set the point record and all of that. So I come back the next year, my junior year, that's where I beat Jurgens in the semi. So now I'm in the finals against David Morgan, a guy that had majored me in the dual meet earlier in the season up at Michigan state. And um, like I said, there was a lot of emotion in it for me because my father had died kind of unexpectedly during my sophomore season. So I really felt like I never got to, to honor him with all of the things that he gave me to be able to be a wrestler and do what I was doing. When I won that national title, it was for me, it was really kind of a way of saying thank you to him for everything he had done for me so that I could wrestle (laughs) on top of that. And I've talked about this in other podcasts. I almost got kicked out of that NCAA tournament. Why? So during my first match, I'm wrestling Steve Garland, the now coach at UVA. And we kept going back and forth. Now, mind you, it's a very heated team race between Iowa and Oklahoma State. And everybody knew that. And we needed bonus points. And every time I'd get a a lead on Garland, he would inch his way back into the match. And he was always like, three points behind, five points behind, three points behind. Like I couldn't get it to an eight point lead. I won the match, got my hand raised. And when I was walking off the mat, press row was like right on top of the mats. That year in Cleveland, the arena was tiny. And I came off the mat and I kicked the table. And when I kicked the table, a laptop went flying And it turns out, I mean, it was 1998 where laptops were not like very common. It was a press row guy and I broke his laptop. So they made me come back to the arena. Pat Smith comes to my room in between sessions and says, hey, you got you got to come over to the arena. They're they're going to vote on kicking you out of the tournament. And anybody that knows Pat, Pat was like always pulling pranks. And I was like, Pat, I just need to get some rest. Like, can you just leave me alone right now? He's like, no, I'm serious. You have to come to the arena. They're going to vote if you're going to stay in or get kicked out of the tournament. So I had to go into this room. All the decision makers there were in the room. They questioned me about what went on. I said, you know what? I I won a match that I thought I should have won by more. I was frustrated. I kicked the first thing that was near me. It was a table. I didn't mean to break the laptop. So they take me out of the room and they do a vote right there to allow me to move forward in the tournament. And how nervous were you? Uh yeah. I was like, I That's at that insane. point I kind of like threw my hands up and I was like, You're an idiot. If this is the way you get, if this is the way your junior season ends, you're an idiot. Um, luckily Bruce Baumgartner, who knew our family really stepped up and, and spoke positively of me in that meeting. And I think in my opinion, really helped sway them to allow me to finish the tournament. So to answer your original question, it's a long winded way of no, saying it's good. This is good. It was, it was a really emotional win because of, you know, my father having had passed the, Two day, two days before on Thursday, I didn't even know if I was going to be in the tournament anymore. And then I get into the finals against a guy that had, you know, mopped me up in the dual meet, and I ended up getting a fall in that match. So it was exhilarating. How'd you celebrate? Um, we went and did our after party with OSU, and then I went back to the hotel and slept. <laughs> <laughs> that that was it. That was it. 
That was it. I did all I did I did all my celebrating once we got back to Stillwater. Gotcha. A fall in the finals. I did not watch the match. How did it happen? Uh, I shot a low single, and he came up over top like a north south position, and we had coach Smith. We had drilled a position where if if that happens, you can trap a guy's wrist, and when you sit him back, I'm now laying on him but I'm looking up at the ceiling, he's on his back. And so I have him trapped. And mm-hmm. so I was able to keep him there. And, and you can see it in the video when you watch it, the referee is looking to see if I have control, but then at the same time, he's looking to see if Morgan is flat and he makes the call, which um, from an official's perspective, you know, the guy's shoulders are flat. It's the right call, but it's really kind of a gutsy call for an official because he hasn't even called a takedown yet, mm-hmm. but he sees that the guy's flat. And as the rule book states, if your shoulders are flat, Call game it. over. Man. And that was an NCAA title 118 as in the uh, last, last 118 national champ, right? Cause the weight yeah. class changed. Yeah, that's correct. On, on, in the books, I'm the, I'm the last 118 pounder. Wow. And man, there's literally notes and notes that we haven't got to. I know we're we're about an hour in here, and I don't want to keep yeah. you too long. Um, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. I would just say that <clears throat> there's literally hundreds of stories I want to ask you about, like the uh, the Mongolia trip, or <laughs> you know, angry fish, and all these legends that have come through. I mean, um, yeah, but I just want to kind of wind down with just you know, you mentioned wrestling's been a big part of your life, literally your life. You know, what do you think are some of the, the the best things that's come out of it for you in terms of the values and lessons learned? Lessons learned. The sport of wrestling for me has given me the ability to overcome and deal with or adapt to situations that are not in your favor. And I think that's where really where the sport of wrestling can be so helpful to young people because wrestling gives you the element that it's your, it's, it's on you. You've got to do the work. And if you do the work, you have a chance to succeed. It's not a guarantee that you're going to succeed. And when you compound that with weight management, having to make weight, uh, you compound that with the stresses of being the only person out there that's going to be able to get you to a win or get your hand raised. The sport of wrestling for me has helped me through the toughest points in my life. I mentioned my father passing. I've had two brother, three brothers that have passed um, dealing with their losses. I feel like the sport of wrestling has given me the tools to be able to deal with it. Um, I'm sorry. You know, to hear a, that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, wrestling has, it sounds like a lot of my things are negatively attributed, but the toughest times in your life is really where I believe the sport of wrestling is going to help you. And for all of us that are going to wrestle with something in life, the takeaways are that you can survive and you can come back to fight another day. And that's really where wrestling has, has helped me. Yeah, no. And I, I love the, uh, it's, it's just the perspective you're talking about is like, cause in life, we're going to have some really difficult moments, whether it's work, personal, whatever. And for people who haven't done sports or people who haven't done wrestling, when they hit those moments in their twenties or thirties, it could be the first time they see real adversity. Whereas someone like you, you know, you battled through it in the practice room, winning heartbreaking matches, losing heartbreaking matches, you know, you've seen it all. Um, so that's, it is a, to me, it's kind of how I think about it as well. I also love the story that you told about how you and your brother celebrated after your 1998 title. Like that is just so powerful, man. Like that yeah. is uh, it triggered in my mind when you said that there, but yeah, man, yeah. it's crazy. Yeah. It, it was uh, my career was one that I have no regrets on my wrestling career. I'm very appreciative and helpful for all the opponents that I've had. And now to see the guys that like my brother, Ty, that we talked about, you know, he, he helped coach Coleman Scott, Jake Herbert, like guys that have done really amazing things in the sport of wrestling. 
to know that we're all connected because of the sport of wrestling is is very special. The very and special. Coleman going to Okie State. Yeah, yeah, Crazy. big changes. What do you big think? I, I'm excited. I'm really excited. I mean, uh, I'm actually my girlfriend and I are going to be going uh, to Stillwater here pretty soon. Um, and really, I want to do it just because I want to I want to be a part of this energy that is coming back into the program and let Coach Smith know that, you know, I'm very appreciative for everything he's done for me uh, in my life. And so letting Coach enjoy and understand how much of an impact he's made on all of us. And then obviously to see Coleman move forward, you know, um, to take over the program. I'm extremely excited for him. I think he's got all the tools to get Oklahoma State back on top. And as an alumni, I'm ready to see it happen. It's crazy because you've you've been connected with UNC through your brother. He was at UNC. Now he's going back. Kendall was at UNC. And so it's like it's all just uh, kind of connected in some way. Yeah, it, it, re- wrestling, as I think most of us could agree, it's very incestuous, right? Like Definitely. someone's coaching here that wrestled for this person there, and everybody knows everybody. There's there's not six degrees of separation. There's like one degree of separation no matter where you go. Absolutely. Well, Teague Mar, man, it's been such a pleasure, man. We got to get you back on because I'm telling you, there's there's so much we didn't talk about. I wish yeah. uh, nothing but the best as you head into the weekend, man. And and thanks again for the uh, the partnership on the Wrestling Consultant. I'm really excited to be working with you. Hey, Ryan, I want to say this to you. I appreciate what you're doing for the sport. I mean, you are telling stories that I think not only for us, like the wrestling junkies, I love your podcast because you get into the nuts and bolts of what made people succeed. Uh, But even more so, I think you're doing a great service for people that are learning the sport and you're bringing some of the best stories to them in a way that they can be digested. So I just appreciate what you're doing and I'm supporting you because I believe in, in, in your product. Thank you very much, man. It means a lot. And uh, yeah, many good times to come, man. Thank you again for coming on Teague. Yep. Thanks. Take care, Ryan. Take care, brother. Thanks for listening to this episode of Wrestling Changed My Life. This episode was brought to you by our friends at CauseMatch. They're an online peer-to-peer crowdfunding platform. And if you're looking to supplement your fundraising efforts this wrestling season, go to causematch.com slash wrestling. That's causematch.com slash wrestling. We'll see you next time on our new episode of Wrestling Changed My Life.